Ready to chase impossible, walking away from what I know. You're never gonna let me go. I'm telling the part my master plan, trading it for my master's head. You're never gonna let me go. Let me go. You're never gonna let me go. Let me go. Me go. You're never gonna let me go.
Hi, I'm Shauna Rees, Director of Leadership here at Living Word Chapel. I just want to personally thank you for joining us this morning. Whether you are in person or online, we welcome you. If you are new with us, we want to send out a special welcome to you as well. At the end of the service, if you are at one of our in-person services, make sure you stop by our Welcome Center where it says, New Here, Start Here. We have a free gift for you because you are a gift to us today. Well, it is because of your generosity that we are able to minister to many people in our communities. And one of the many ways that we are able to do this is through a ministry called Bags of Hope. So far, we have been able to bless 20 families at both our campuses with a bag of hope. Our goal moving forward is to be able to feed 20 families in our communities a Thanksgiving meal. So as you continue to be generous, God is faithful. We make it easy for you to give. You can give online. Uh, lwconline.org. You can give in person at one of our drop boxes, or you can mail in your check. Well, we are two weeks away from Serve Our City. It will be the first Sunday in November. We are excited to go out into our communities and make a difference by being the hands and feet of Jesus, by closing the building and going out and being the church that God has called us to be. This year, we will be serving in Hayden, Kearney, and Salmonwell. We hope that you will join us and be a part of that. We still have t-shirts available to you. You can purchase one at our cafe. They are $10. And we also have sign-up sheets in the back at our Welcome Center so that uh, you can sign up where you would like to serve. Well, myself and Pastor James are away right now celebrating 35 years of marriage. But I know that you are gonna be blessed with our guest speaker, Jack Shaw. So before he shares the word of God with you, let's get ready to worship. Enjoy the service. Why don't we stand up this morning?
This is the joy of the Lord. The joy, the joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy, the joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, He is my hope. Yes, He is the joy.
thank you this morning to worship you, God. What an awesome and great God that you are. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. Even in the valley, you were there. On the mountaintop, you were there. You were steady. And you're consistent, Lord. And we know that we can trust you. We just thank you for that. For being an almighty God, Lord. For breaking chains and doing miracles in us. Lord, we just thank you for your truth, for your love. I thank you for everyone that's here, God. Thank you for Jack as he gives the message this morning. And to all the children, the youth that we have here, that we're going to have next service, Lord. Everyone that's watching online, I just pray a blessing over you. That God meets you there in your living room, in your office, at work, wherever you are. Lord, we thank you for being a great God again. In Jesus' name I pray. Today is our work day where we are tearing down walls and baseboards and we have volunteers that are here uh, putting their hands to the plow, getting us ready to debut to the community September 09. Just wanted to serve the community just like um, Jesus would. What we do on the last Saturday of every month is getting involved in things like cleaning up elementary schools to working with little kids and reading to them or working with animals, clothing drives, uh, food shelters, just various uh, projects to kind of serve the city and to love the city and to be people that are concerned with the welfare of our city, whether it be the orphan or the widow, kind of engage with those that have been marginalized by our society by kind of literally like washing their feet and bringing the basin and the towel to uh, every person that comes here. I'm getting a haircut. Today we're working with various churches that have picked Saturn at, for their service day and we're cleaning the classrooms and we're doing things that the teachers have requested. Painting bookcases, steam cleaning the area rugs and just trying to do some basic cleaning and prepping to help the teachers get ready for the new year. Uh, I'm replacing a doorstop that apparently has been broken for many, many years. We just changed the teacher's life. Look at that. Amazing. Today we have about 13 to about 14 volunteers, and they've all volunteered their time and taken time out of their day. So we're grateful. Well, good morning. So the first Sunday in November is Serve Our City, and uh, it's an opportunity to get out and just be the hands and feet of Jesus. Hey, I'm happy to introduce Jack Scholl. He's a friend of LWC. Uh, he filled in last week, and we heard such good things. You know, we were up there fishing and, <laughs> you know, praising God, getting sunburned. Yeah, but you, you were having in. fun. <laughs> yeah, but you were so gracious to fill in uh, for uh, Pastor James while he's mm -hmm. celebrating his 35th 
wedding anniversary. That's pretty cool. That's, we that's should clap something. for that. That's pretty awesome. And so uh, we thank you. Uh, right. And then by back, by popular demand, <laughs> we have you this morning. And Perfect. so let's give it up for Jack Schull. Oh. <clears throat> Thank you all. It is a joy to be back. Uh, we'll try not to mess it up and have fun. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, you can pull them out. And I want you to kind of go to John chapter... Uh, let me get here. I'm, I'm ahead of my notes here. Uh, John chapter 20. And there's a simple phrase in there, verse 21, that we'll get to in a second. But as you're making your way there, John chapter 20, if you're online watching, uh, either today or later on this week, it's a, it's a joy to, to be with you, like I said. And as you guys do serve your city, we do that on Super Bowl Sunday uh, because we are a church that meets at night and we just think it's dumb to compete with the Super Bowl. So uh, we just cancel uh, service that night. We go serve our city in the morning. Uh, which we typically are not. So I, I'm just happy to be up right now because I usually sleep in. So, um, but we are uh, we are doing that as well. And today, what I want to talk about is, I think, the reality of what you get to do in that day coming up here, November first or the first Sunday in November, um, and what we get to practice. But really, what we're called to do as individuals every day of the week, and that is for us to have a missional presence for God and for His good in the world around us. So last week, we looked uh, at this idea of, of contemplative cadence, right? And if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back because we, we talked about the, the beauty of the... Pause. Dramatic effect. And, and the reality is that our, our culture is... is forming and pushing us in, in, in so many ways to a speed of life that really isn't conducive to the way of discipleship and, and the way of, of following in the pattern and rhythms of Jesus. And, and so we looked at that, and, and I want to kind of pick up a little bit with that and this idea of a missional presence. Uh, but to get there, let's talk about Legos. How many of you have ever... Uh, experimented with Legos, like you've had fun with Legos, maybe you have nieces and nephews, grandkids that you play Legos with. Um, do you know how many Lego pieces are made every single day, manufactured? In one year, Legos uh, around the world, may they make 36 billion pieces of Lego. Uh, or Legos, I, I don't, is it plural, singular, I don't, anyway, uh, 36 billion pieces in one year, that comes to about 125 million pieces a day, about 5 million pieces every hour, so for the hour we're here, 5 million pieces of Legos are being uh, produced. If you've ever done one of the bigger Lego pieces, maybe the Eiffel Tower, you put together 3,428 pieces to make that happen. The Ghostbusters Firehouse, 4,634 pieces. Taj Mahal, 5,922 pieces. The Collector Edition Millennium Falcon, anyone have that? That is the biggest one. I saw someone's hand. 7,541 pieces of Lego for that. Each piece of Lego is molded, right? 
it's being molded into that shape, that size, the number of dots it has, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, whether it's the big duplex one that, like, the preschool and that, you know, even I can do, uh, or the small little tiny ones that, like, the Millennium Falcon, 70, can you just imagine dumping out 7,000 pieces and then trying to figure out how to put it together? I can't even imagine that. That's like a jigsaw puzzle to me, and they drive me crazy. Uh, and so, like, Maybe this idea, but when you look at Legos, you realize every single Lego piece is molded. And the truth is, you and I are being molded. Uh, we're being molded and shaped in a way, and it could be from our cultural influence around us, or, or maybe God actually has a desire to mold and shape us as well. Discipleship is more concerned and focused on internal molding Jesus wants to change us from the inside out. Our culture tends to want to mold us from the outside in. And so it's this opposite approach. And it actually fits together with where we were at last week. But to be a deeply formed person, to be a person that's rooted kind of in this life of Jesus and to be kind of molded in a way that you become part of the missional presence of Jesus in the world around you really starts with who you're becoming more than what you're doing. What you're doing matters and the activity of that, but it really begins with the inside. Jesus is concerned about the inside. It's the quality of our presence is part of the mission. Uh, and we understand quality. Uh, what we think of sometimes when we think of quality, we think of like performance in a lot of ways. And from a, like a sports analogy, we understand uh, like performance, when you perform well, like maybe you're on the first string. If you're a little bit less than that, maybe your second string or third string, like the U of A football right now, we're trying to find first string. We, we, we're just, we're struggling right now, and I'm a diehard fan, and it's, it's just going to be a, a rebuilding process to get to the first string. And so, like, it's this idea of, we understand that. If you are more familiar with, like, band or choir, then you understand, like, first chair, second chair, third chair, that you have a, a quality with that. Um, but it's not just... Uh, the kingdom of God doesn't just operate on performance. It's really wanting to develop a quality, and that starts with wherever you are. Jesus wants to be at work within you. The good news is Jesus doesn't wait for you to become first chair and then to say, okay, now I'll use you. That's the beauty of the gospel. It is a person who says yes to Jesus, and maybe you're here and you're just investigating Jesus, and I think it's awesome that you're here. I think it's awesome that you're kind of owning your own spiritual journey and going on that pursuit. And here's my encouragement. Is living words in a fantastic place to put down some roots and investigate this Jesus and to try to figure out who he is and what he has to say about life. And, and I just encourage you to keep coming. And that somewhere along the line, you might get to a place where many folks in this room or watching online have gotten to a place where they've said, hey, Jesus is really with me and for me, and he's changing me, and he's actually enlisted me. There's something about Jesus that's just captivating. Even Homer Simpson noticed this. I don't know what it says that The Simpsons is the longest-running sitcom in America, that probably says a lot about America. Um, but, like, there's one simple little five-second clip of Homer Simpson reading the Bible, sitting in his blue chair, and he just closes the book and says, everybody's a sinner, except this guy. And he's highlighting Jesus. That's the only clip. It goes on, and she's chasing a kid down the hall. Um, but it, it speaks to the reality of the truth. 
that we're all broken. And we all have um, deficiencies in our own life. We all have struggles in our own life. We're not, we're not all higher performers, if we're honest. In fact, if there was a camera that followed me around all week or a camera that followed you around all week, we'd realize, you know, yeah, maybe for Steve, I don't know. Um, like, that's the truth, right? But Jesus doesn't wait for you to become first team to put you into the game. In fact, what we see in the gospel accounts is this incredible, beautiful expression of Jesus that says, hey, I'm with you, I'm for you, and I actually want to use you. Uh, and I want you to be a part of this. As Jesus was arrested and crucified, the disciples deserted him. You remember that, right? John is the only one uh, of the early disciples that was actually at the cross. Everybody else was gone. They deserted, they left, they fleed. And there was a few women there. His mom is there. He was left alone to suffer and die. And after his resurrection, the disciples locked themselves in a room for fear that they would be next. That's why they ditched out in the first place. Oh, if they're coming after the leader, then, ooh, okay, bye-bye, right? And they take off. They flee. Would you want those people on your team? I wouldn't. That's called teammates, right? Teammates is I'm with you no matter what. And when a teammate bails, well, then I guess I'm going to write you off. But that's not what Jesus does. That's not what he does. In fact, he does the polar opposite of that. The answer is no one would want those people back on their team except Jesus. Jesus went back to his failed dropout disciples, and instead of bringing up their mistakes and their miscues, he picks them up and he sends them out on mission. After coming to them face to face with his friends, and they're in the locked room, he walks through the wall, crazy, and he just shows up and says, hey, peace be with you. That wouldn't be my first line. Would it be yours? Peace be with you? My first line would be, what's the deal? I'm back. Like, there would be, if I'm just honest, there would be like a little critique, maybe even some condemnation, but the scriptures declare there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus shows up with a whole different demeanor. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. Jesus, no, no, no. Like, not me. I, I'm not first string. Like, uh, I blew it. Uh, I, I messed up. And I, I abandoned you. I bailed on you. Peter might speak up and say, like, three times I told people I didn't even know you. Like, and then I ran away. And Jesus said, no, Peter, especially you. As the Father has sent me, I now send you. Friends, May that fall upon you as an incredible invitation. As a, a banner over your life that actually lands on you and lifts you up. Jesus' simple statement here 
is incredibly profound. Because the truth is, I think for all of us, we would say, man, Jesus, I don't think I'm good enough to be on your team. Maybe a backup. Maybe. I could be water boy. And Jesus, no, no, no. See, I, I know you failed in the past. I know you've blown it. I actually know you're going to blow it in the future. But see, as the Father has sent me, I now send you. That is an incredible uplifting truth in reality. See, the definition of discipleship is, is really a disciple is someone who knows and follows Jesus, is becoming like Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. The missional task of being Jesus with, as we just said, you know, Jesus with hands and feet to the world around you, not just on a serve Sunday, but on every single day. Uh, in the, the realm of influence and reach that you have, that he's gifted to you, is that you uh, would live a life of surrender in a way that you would not compartmentalize your life, and that I would not either, and that we would just live as a sent one, because that's really the call for Christians. For those who have come to a place where they've surrendered their life to Jesus and accepted that his life, his death, his resurrection actually redeemed me, reclaimed me, and now has given me a mission to be a part of. Not because I deserved it, not because I earned it, but because he sees something in you that maybe you don't even see in you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. That is an incredible call upon your life as a follower of Jesus. See, in some Christian traditions, doing is at the expense of being. I'm going to do a bunch of things for you, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, that's awesome. That's great. I, I want that to be a part of the expression of your life. But I really want to mold the inside of you. I want it to become, I want your doing to be an overflow of what I'm actually helping you become in your life. In other traditions, it, it's the being at the expense of doing. I, I'm going to retreat away from everything, and I'm just going to focus on me and being me. And listen, Jesus is way more than just project self. So Jesus wants to do a molding within your heart, but it is so it finds expression outward. A life of doing will always flow from a life of being. We need to be molded into who we are becoming. And we want to care about that. Any doing on our part will only be as deep as our being and what God is doing within us. So doing without being, it disconnects our activity from the source of life, which is Jesus himself. And we don't want to be dismissed from that. Our engagement in the world welcomes us to become a part, become marked not by obligation, but by joyful participation. That's why the joy of the Lord can be your strength. It's not meant to be, okay, now I've enlisted you into this mission. I've now sent you. Go do it. Do it all in your own power and grunt really hard for Jesus. No, this is meant to be an overflow of how you're living and how he's changing. Why? Because Jesus is the one who said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It isn't meant to be this strain upon you. Will it be challenging at times? Yes. Was it challenging for Jesus? Yes. So it's not that it's always comfortable. 
In fact, I don't know if you know this, Jesus is much more interested in your character than your comfort. Mine too. And that is frustrating at times, isn't it? Because there's some molding he wants to do within us that is uncomfortable. There's some changes he wants to do within us that will then help us become more and more a person who lives on mission. And that becomes challenging, and that's where, the, it's, where it's a struggle to surrender. That's why it's always a posture of surrender. A posture of saying, okay, Jesus, your hook is easy, your burden is light. I'm going to let you have the sway and say into my life. The truth is, you and I cannot give what we do not have. We just can't give to a world that's waiting and watching and looking and searching anything that we don't have. And so it comes back to Jesus saying, listen, I want to mold you from the inside out. I want to kind of rebuild your life so that the overflow of your life and how you go about living in certain ways begins to impact and to be an expression of my missional presence in this world. Jesus had a presence that made a difference back in the first century. And then this crazy thing is he said, I'm going to build my church. You are a part of his church. You and I are a part of his missional presence still to this day. Jesus is alive and active. He's not distant and distracted. He's alive and active in and through his church. And our world needs more of the church to be alive and active. And that begins with each one of us individually saying, Jesus, would you grow my being so that my doing in the world is just more and more an expression of you? I just want to see people impacted in a way. We are not to be merry to the exclusion of Martha. We looked at that last week. Uh, Martha, you know, so caught up in the doing, and Mary focused on the being with Jesus. See, neither one is like, Mary chose what was better. That's sitting at the feet of Jesus and working on the being, who she is, and having Jesus impact that. But Martha wasn't wrong in doing things for Jesus. What you need is both and, not either or. And some traditions will push more toward one side, and some will push more toward the other. And the reality is you see in the life of Jesus both. And I think for his followers, there's meant to be both. God's activity flows from his identity. God is love, and so loving things is what he does. And so who we are will overflow into what we're about. God is in the business of rescuing people, and we are called to play a part in facilitating part of that rescue, to bear witness to the loving, uh, I love this word, the loving winsomeness of Jesus. Our world needs to see more of the winsomeness of Jesus, who is unique, who is different, who is set apart who doesn't put people on blast, but actually invites people in. And in our world, our culture, my life, your life, the church needs to champion, I think, the winsomeness of Jesus more. 
Having a deeply formed missional presence in the world is a posture that's meant to be pervasive for our witness of Jesus. It's pointing people toward the wisdom and the winsomeness of Jesus through the way in which we live, the words we speak, through the ways that we act and react in the world around us. It's living because we've been changed from the inside out. As followers of Jesus, mirroring the heart of God to the world. Mirroring the heart of God to the world is this concept, this idea, this notion, uh, maybe a couple key things. God is with all. Any sense of mission that is faithful to Jesus begins with the presence of God. God's grace lovingly present in the world at every moment. God is here. God is active. God is on the move. Jesus said, John 5, 17, my father is always at work even to this very day. God is always at work. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't take days off. That should bring you comfort. He is with us. And any notion of mission or missional presence for Jesus must confess that God moves first. Long before we act in the lives of your friends, your coworkers, your family, God is already on the move. It isn't up to you. That should bring comfort to you. You're not trying to save anybody. You're trying to help the one who is the saver, the one who is the rescuer, and he is already at work long before you showed up. Long before you speak, he has already spoken. Long before you arrived, he's already there. He's already alive and active. And what we see through the scriptures is this manifest presence of Jesus a manifest presence of God all the time, right? Back to the Exodus days, we see the pillar of fire leading the people. We see the cloud covering over the people, leading them in which way to go. The tabernacle was representing the presence of Jesus or the presence of God in the world. And here we see more and more, Jesus just gets closer. God keeps getting closer into the incarnation. The incredible, miraculous reality of God in a bod shows up says, I want you to know me. It's getting closer. I love how Eugene Peterson says this in the message translation, John 1, 14. The word, speaking of Jesus, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus, God in a body, shows up, moves into the neighborhood. God is active in your friend's life and the people around you long before you show up to partner with him. That should take the burden off you. You actually get to join the one who's already at work. That's what it means to be a missional presence in the world around you. God can't get enough of his people. God comes to be present and available. God is with all. God is for all. God is for the world. He's for your friend, he's for your family, he's for your coworker. he is for your person that is on your team, the person that you know that you visit at that particular store all the time. God is for them. So much of Christians and Christianity today is marked almost first and foremost by what we're against than what we're for. And yet what you see in the scriptures is God always announcing what he's for. He's for people. And yet so much of our Christian witness has been damaged or roughed up in a way because people stand with shouting, here's what we're against. Unless it doesn't mean you're not a person of conviction. 
we are to be people of conviction. But the primary conviction is that we're four people. Just as God is four people. Does your presence in the world announce that? Or does it push back away from that? See, that's why this is more than just us doing stuff for God. It has to be who we're becoming. That the overflow of what we do is actually being changed and lifted from what we're becoming. The simple test of this confirms, bring up any divisive issue in the world, politics, sexuality, race, immigration, and so on. And what you'll find is Christians in a lot of camps clearly asserting, here's what we're against. Listen, we are to be people of conviction. But if that is the first thing you announce, then how does that proclaim that I'm for anybody? Versus just putting people on blast. Instead of letting people know, hey, God actually knows your name. He actually cares about you. And he loves you. Does he have standards? Yes. But his love is what leads the way. And it's the change he wants to do within you that actually bring, begins to, to bring about the change uh, of your life. Uh, Mother Teresa famously said this, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. The posture of being against the world is one that has marked Christian witness for centuries. It's what makes genuine Christian engagement in the world different and difficult. If we don't hate people, we're trying to see God change. What if we just started there? That we just don't hate people that we actually think God is for and he wants to do some change in them. It's not that you're the change agent. You're not big enough for that. Jesus alone is that. You get to be a partner. I get to be a partner with him in announcing his truth and announcing his presence and announcing the reality that he is for people. As the Father has sent me, I now send you. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus' sending is gracious. He sends us out as his representatives, as his heralds, as his ambassadors. One of the greatest acts of grace in the life of Jesus is the calling of his very first disciples who were misfits. You do remember that, right? The reason he went to get people who were back in fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and all of that is because they weren't good enough to be part of the Talmudin, which is followers of a rabbi of the day. They weren't good enough. And so they went back to their father's trade because that's what you do when you don't make the cut. And Jesus comes along and says, you're good enough for me. Let's go. Follow me. You don't have to be first team. You just got to be on the team. I'm going to use you. As the Father has sent me, I now send you. No, no, no. <laughs> Jesus, I'm broken. Yeah, I know. But I still got work for you to do. And I'm going to work on who you're becoming because I want it to be this massive expression of my presence, announcing I'm with people, I'm for people, and I'm going to do that in you and through you. So with the time I got left, here's what I want to do. Um, looking at this idea of just two simple examples of how you can go about growing in this missional presence. A couple simple ones. First is this, hospitality or godly hospitality. 
throughout the New Testament, Jesus demonstrated hospitality in the ancient Near East. In the ancient Near East, hospitality was a major factor of how people live culturally. You were always hospitable to people. But hospitality is more than just opening up your home. It's opening up your heart. And in our world, friends, the Christian community, we have got to get better at opening up our hearts. Starting with me. It's so easy in our cultural context and the divisiveness around us today is to dismiss or to say you're not worth my time or to label. And Jesus didn't do that. In fact, he was accused of the opposite. Why do you hang out with these sinners and tax collectors? Because I'm for people. I want to be with people. And so in a cultural moment of our moment, our here and now, can that be said of your life? Can that be said of mine? Like, maybe that is the question we need to wrestle with. Chapter 9 of Matthew, Jesus calls Matthew, remember, he's a tax collector, which means he was cheating his own people, right? He was hated and despised. Jesus says, you're on my team. And then Matthew throws a party for the people Matthew knew. Do you know who the people Matthew knew were? Other tax collectors, other sinners. That's why the Pharisees show up at the party outside the party and say, why do you eat with these people? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. That's what Jesus says. I've come. I'm not only, Matthew opens up the home, Jesus opens up his heart. And so as a church, it's hospitality is announcing all the time, you belong here. It's good that you're here. How can you announce that truth this week to the people around you? It's good that you're here. It's good that I'm in your life and you're in my life. How do we continue to announce this? This is why Jesus was so scandalous. He had the nerve to touch people who were contagious and to sit with people who were regarded as corrupt and to be with those who were labeled and deemed unworthy. And he just chucked all the labels and said, I'm I'm with you. I'm actually for you. Hospitality is a holy act because it mirrors the God who welcomes and receives you and receives me. As a people of God, we're called to extend that grace to others. The reason we are hospitable to open up our hearts to others is because God opened up his heart to you. God opened up his heart to me. The root in life begins to create space and opportunity to not creating space to launch into just telling people why they're sinners and launching into that, but creating space to welcome people. I love what Henry Nouwen says. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place, where God can begin to do a work that only he can do, that I don't have to do it, but I'm partnering with him and what he's up to. Why? Because he's already started the work long before I got there. And long before I said a word, he's already at work. The way to change a life is not by judging people, but by embracing them and welcoming them. You don't have to condone behavior in order to commit to be a loving person. 
I don't have to condone behavior in order to commit to love. I love first. We'll figure everything else out. And I'll call you to things because Jesus has called me to things. And I actually think the way he calls us to life is the best possible way to live. I've tried other ways. And it didn't take me where I wanted to go. My hunch is you're trying things and it's not taking you where you want to go. One of the best questions I ask people when we get into spiritual conversations and they're telling me all the things they hate about Christians and all the things they hate about church and then they talk about their life and and they go into it and I often will ask, how's that working for you? And oftentimes, if we're honest, well, it's not working very well. It's not taking me where I want to go. And so it's this call. Uh, David Osberger says this, being heard is so close to being loved that the average person uh, is almost indistinguishable in how they do it. And so we are to be active agents for God and his good in the world. The last thing is this, announcing the gospel. So godly hospitality and then announcing the gospel. There's lots of ways to announce the gospel. I think the simplest one is just John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loved, so he gave. And if you believe, you can receive. That's the gospel, the shortest and simplest way we can put it. And how can our lives begin to champion that? We announce the gospel not in just in the ways that we do life and the ways we live life, but in the ways we speak about each follower of Jesus. It is to live as an active agent. That's what N.T. Wright, a theologian, talks about. We are an active agent for God and his good in the world. You are to be part of the missional presence of God wherever you go. Why? Because Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I now send We're to do this actively. So I'd love to pray for you to be part of that missional presence in the world as God's working with you. And so into a hostile world, God, we need more hospitality. We need to become people who open our hearts. Help us be the kind of people in in, in person who does actions, but that that really is an overflow of our life, of who we're becoming. Help us to announce your good news, that you're a God who is with and for through our conduct, our conversations, our actions, our reactions. God, give us moments to speak up for you and to point people towards you, Jesus. And just like these Legos are molded, we want to be molded, not so much by our world, but more and more by the presence and hope and grace of Jesus, that we would be his hands and feet in the world around us, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Uh, Pastor asked us to do something we just love to do. So we're going to pick up a love offering from Pastor Jack. And I know y'all just love to do that because that's what we do. For God so loved, he gave, and his people are givers. And God gives us the opportunity to give and to sow into Jack Scholl's ministry. Let's do it with joy.